Very good evening. Please do be seated. It's absolutely lovely to see all of you this evening. We're continuing our series in John's Gospel, so it would be great if you could open your Bibles or keep them open, page 1076, page 1076. This is John chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. Other thing to commend to you is there's an outline in the middle of your bulletin. Shall we start with prayer? Father, we pray that as we come around your word together this evening, that you would graciously work by your spirit in our hearts and in our minds to soften our hearts and prepare our minds to be changed by the grace of your word. And now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Christians love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They lack everything, yet they overflow in everything. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor they are glorified. They are spoken ill of and yet are justified. They are reviled and yet blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good and are punished as evildoers. And when they are punished, they rejoice as if raised from the dead. That is a quotation from a second century work known as the letter to Diognetius. And it is pointing out the paradox that is at the very heart of the Christian life. How it is that Christians can seem at times so poor, so unloved, so mistreated, yet on the other hand still be rich in generosity, rejoicing with joy and full of a love that the surroundings cannot explain. And this paradox is no accident, for it is exactly what our Lord Jesus taught us and prepared us for. He taught us where to find full joy, true love, and lasting peace, even in a world that will so often despise us. We have already heard quite a bit about this over the past few weeks, as we've listened in on Jesus preparing his first disciples for the time of his departure. Today's passage rounds that off, brings it to a close, as he gives them three really important promises that they need to keep them firm and stop them falling away. Promises of joy and love and peace. The first promise is a promise of joy out of sorrow. For these first disciples, of course, sorrow is very much on the horizon. Jesus is going away. Soon they will see him no longer. In fact, as we heard last week, sorrow has already filled their hearts. And it will only get deeper as they see him betrayed, arrested, and sent to the cross to die. 
Yet even as he warns them of this, he promises them that he will see them again. Verse 16, he said plainly, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. But they don't quite understand, and so he explains it to them in verse 20, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. I want us to notice here that he does not say your sorrow will be replaced with joy. Nor does he say your sorrow will be followed by joy. He says your sorrow will turn into joy. The very things in which you once sorrowed will become the things in which you will rejoice. And the illustration of this is a woman, verse 21, giving birth. The woman, as she goes through childbirth, is filled with pain because of the childbirth. She's filled with anguish and sorrow, but the moment that that baby has been delivered, she looks back at that very same sorrow, no longer a sorrow, but as joy, joy that a human being has been brought into the world. In the same day, way, yes, it is true that there will be a time when the disciples are full of sorrow because Jesus goes to die, but there will also be another day when they will look back at that cross no longer as sorrow, but in fact as joy. And, in, and it happened exactly as he promised. For the day did come after the cross when they were found sorrowful, scared, hiding behind locked doors. And the risen Lord Jesus came and stood among them. They gazed at his hands and his side and they were glad when they saw the Lord. Do you see how their sorrow turns to joy? Do you see how now they can look back at the suffering and death of the cross and see it now as joy? Once it had seemed like his defeat, his tragic death, his shameful end, but now, seeing him again, the cross itself shines with glorious hope it is now seen to be the devil's end, the grave's defeat, and salvation from sin forever. As he says, they will be sorrowful, but their sorrow will turn into joy. And it will turn into a kind of joy, let me tell you, that is enduring, a lasting joy. As he says, verse 22, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. From the moment they see, they know the risen Lord, they know that no terror, no trouble this world can possibly bring to them will take away their joy. No one will take your joy from you. But here we must ask, is this a promise of joy that is only for those first disciples, or is it something that we can hold on to today too? 
It is, of course, first and foremost for them, but it is also a promise for us today. Think about it. It was after they knew the resurrection of Christ that they had that joy that no one could take from them. And we today live after that very same resurrection of the same Christ. And so we too can find in him a joy that no one will take away. And it is not a matter of whether we have seen him physically. It is a matter of the fact that he rose again. We heard, if you remember St. Peter in our epistle reading, and I quote what he said, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Dear brothers and sisters, we can have a joy that no one will take away here, now, today, because our Saviour is not now suffering on the cross. Our Saviour is not now languishing in the grave. Our Saviour is now, today, risen triumphant from the dead. And that means we can rejoice no matter what else is happening. This promise, dear brothers and sisters, is not a promise that every cloud will have a silver lining. It is a better promise than that. It is a promise that no matter what clouds come our way, we can have joy in Christ. Brings us to our second promise. And our second promise is a tender promise. It is a promise of love, from the Father. And it is a promise which I think if we grasp it, will change the whole way we think about ourselves and our God. And it starts off when our Lord says to us, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And perhaps we hear this and, and we think, it cannot be quite true. He does not mean what he is saying. He will not give us what we ask. Or he might give other people what they ask, but he, he will not give me what I ask, not, not with my background, not with the things I've done. He, he will not give me what I ask. But then our Lord says once more, he insists, he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Let me ask you this. When you conceive of God the Father and Jesus the Son, what, what kind of picture do you have in your mind? Do you perhaps feel that Jesus is he's on our side? He is our advocate. He calls us his friends. Yet somehow you feel the Father is, he is stern, he is offended, he, he is inapproachable, as if somehow Jesus is protecting us from the Father. Do you sometimes feel a little bit like that? Well, if we feel a little bit like that, then actually, that's the wrong picture. Let me tell you plainly what our Lord says plainly about the Father here. He teaches us that it is not just Jesus who loves you. The Father himself loves you. We must not think 
that Jesus has to ask the Father for things on our behalf as if the Father does not already love us and want to give us what we ask. No. As he says, verse 27, for the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. It's revolutionary, isn't it? And why does the Father love us? What is it that we have done to earn this love? In fact, he loves us simply because we have loved the Son and believed that he came from God. Such a tender and comforting promise, isn't it? The Father himself loves you. And so whatever you ask the Father in Jesus' name, he will give it to you. That's the second promise. Let's recap. First promise, the promise of joy out of sorrow. The second promise, the promise of love from the Father. Which brings us to the third promise. And this is as reassuring as the first two have been comforting. This is a promise that gives us the confidence we need for today and tomorrow, no matter what. And it starts off with a very negative context. It starts off with him telling his disciples, verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And that will happen exactly as he has said, as they scatter in fear before he goes to die alone for the sins of the world. But then he adds to this text the perfect medicine, the perfect help for this terrible situation. He gives them an amazing promise, the most important promise, the promise of peace. Verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Where is this peace? In me you may have peace. The peace is in Christ. This is a peace he gives, not like the peace of this world. This is not a peace that the world can give. It is not a peace that the world knows. It is a peace through the Father who loves them, a peace with the Son who redeems them, a peace in the Spirit who gives them life, a peace that no one will take from them. In the world, yes, we may be hated by those who first hated him. In the world, yes, we may have tribulations, but in him who loved us, we will find peace. And why will we find peace in him? It is because he has already overcome the world. When we draw near to him in faith, somehow we find that the world we once so dreaded is but a defeated shadow, a fading end. It is all bark but no bite. As Jesus says, Take heart, I have overcome the world. The battle will still be fierce. The pain and the loss will still be real. The struggle will still be bitter, but it will be like, like when David struck down Goliath. When we look 
and we know the Son of David has struck down sin and death and the devil for us. He has destroyed their power. The victory is ours in him forever. Therefore, we know if we are in him, we can have true and lasting peace because he has overcome the world. As John will later write in his epistle, who is it who overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So where can full joy, true love and lasting peace be found? As we have seen, they are all found in our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is him who promises us joy out of sorrow which no one will take away. Love from the Father, for the Father himself loves you. And peace in the Son who has overcome the world. Powerful, reliable and true promises, strong enough to mean we can face the world and whatever it throws at us today or tomorrow. However, as we have also seen, these great promises are promises only for those who love the Lord Jesus, who believe that he came from the Father. And perhaps there is someone here today, and that is not you. Perhaps you have seen Christians, though, and you know that, that you dearly need that kind of love and joy and peace, or, or you, you've heard from the word, and you want this to be yours too. Well, if that is you, then the application for you is simple. It is to come to the Lord Jesus in faith. And I promise you today, in Jesus' name, that you will find all these things in him. And tribulation in the world. And for the rest of us, for those who do love and trust him, the application is to know and trust these dear promises yet more deeply. So let us do that. Let us keep looking to the risen Christ, keep loving him, keep finding in him joy unspeakable that is filled with glory. Let us keep asking the Father for what we need in Jesus' name, knowing that the Father himself loves us. And finally, let us keep finding peace in the Son, no matter what we face from the world. For he has overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the marvels of your very great and wonderful love towards us sinners. The love by which you sent your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, even to the suffering and death of the cross, even to bearing our sins, even to dying our death, that in him we might have life. We thank you that through him you give us dear and deep promises of lasting joy, the reassurance of your love for us, and that peace which the world cannot take away. Pray, Father, that you would strengthen us in all of these things, that we would endure, that we would not fall away, that we would keep on trusting in him no matter what. And we pray, Father, 
for the day when he will come again, when he will bring us with all your people to that time and that place where, where there will be no more suffering or tribulation anymore, but only perfect love and joy and peace with you, with God, the Son of God, our Savior, through the Spirit who, who loved us and brings us life in the Son. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.